0: highest, peace on earth, good will toward man. Truly he has good will for us, and we rejoice in that. Today we turn to Revelation 7. We'll read it in a little while, not yet, but Revelation chapter 7, where the bold declaration is proclaimed salvation to our God and to the Lamb. Let us pray. Blessed and holy Father, thou who art beloved by all the redeemed, beloved by the angelic realm, beloved by thy Son, we love you and we come praying in the name of Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, thankful to be called by your name. Father, grace our minds with truth, grace our wills with softness, grace our hearts with joy and the beauty that is yours that just exudes throughout the created realm to us. Speak through the sacred scripture, establish our feet In truth, Lord, and particularly as this day we consider this um, fascinating chapter in Revelation which gives us a picture of the blessed state of those who have died in Christ. Speak to our hearts with comfort. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, my beloved church family, it is with humble joy that last week we concluded preaching through the glorious gospel of John uh, over the oh, 59, I think it was, prior uh, sermons. So 19 months and 59 sermons later we have concluded our study of John. And it appeared good to me to step back from the plain-style expository preaching with which I have approached John. Such preaching seeks, first, an explanation of the passage, sentence by sentence, phrase by phrase, word by word, depending upon the need. Second... Doctrine, what doctrine is found in this passage? Ending third, application, heartfelt application. And probably last week's was the most profound heartfelt application that I have sensed and been blessed by. I don't know if you were blessed, but I was. The application out of John 21 touched this grace-saved sinner profoundly by the charcoal fire motif that impacted me heavily. Tender, oh, so tender is the blessed, sweet Lord Jesus and how gracious to sinners he is. I confess, preaching through John, I love Jesus more now than I ever have. In my life. But today. I depart from plain style. Exposition. Using a topical. Based upon exegesis. A topical approach. Which I believe will help us. Help us as we approach. The glorious celebration. Of our savior's birth. Christmas. Today we turn. To the return of Christ. Or the blessed effect of his life following his ministry upon the earth. And my purpose today is that by considering Revelation 7, we will see in, will look in the direction of his blessed appearing that shall yet come. And we will consider the blessed, pre- blessed, pre- blessed presence and bliss of those who are presently with Christ now, today, by his grace. How shall we approach John 7? How shall we hermeneutically approach hermeneutics, the science of interpretation, How shall we hermeneutically approach John chapter 7? Well, the system of interpretation that is most satisfactory to me, and I believe the true one, is the reformed approach known as either all-millennialism or realized millennialism. This view teaches that the book of Revelation is comprised of seven sections that run parallel with each other, not con- chronologically sequenced, but parallel with each other. Each of the seven depict the church and the world from the time of Christ's first appearing to the time of his second appearing. The first section, verse, chapters 1 through 3, depict Christ walking in the midst of the seven lampstands, churches like us. And there is incredible application, incredible truth for churches to consider that was there in the first century and has continued even to our day. The second of these seven sections is the vision of seven seals found in chapters 4 through 7, 4 through 7, or 4 through 8, for 8 concludes with the seventh seal. But John is caught up to heaven and sees God sitting upon his radiant, resplendent, glorious throne. John beholds the lamb that has been slain, taking the scroll sealed with seven seals from the hand of him who sits upon the throne, thus indicating that Christ has victoriously and decisively won the victory over sin, evil, and death, and is worthy to open the seals. Well, the seals are now broken, and various judgments upon the earth are described. In fact, if you have a more of a study Bible, starting with chapter 6, you'll see a listing of these judgments. False Christ will appear. Wars will appear. Famine will appear. Death will appear. Martyrdom will appear. And terror in the first six broken seals of the sixth chapter. And the church... Christ's blood bought church suffers trial and persecution, but all against the backdrop of the victory of Christ. And even so, our beloved apostle tells Timothy in Second Timothy three twelve, you can say it with me, probably. Indeed, all. Who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's not a hypothetical possible. If a church desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, it will be persecuted. And depending upon the context around us, that persecution can be mild to severe. So the early church found. Some emperors shed the church's blood. Others were more lenient. Sometimes it was whole scale across the empire. Sometimes it was just localized. But all who would live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, what is very significant is that not only did the church of the first century suffer these terrors, but the church historic has down through the centuries suffered these terrors. That needs to sell in and percolate. All that is described in the sixth chapter, indeed, the sixth through eighth chapter is really about the seven seals. These terrors of these seals were experienced in the first century and have been in every subsequent century. Indeed, chapter six, do you understand that the reading of chapter 6, with the six seals up to that point, is the present-day experience of the persecuted church today. Do you understand that? So our experience is not the norm, and we dare not build a hermeneutic upon our experience. The hermeneutic is based in scripture. It will teach and speak for itself. Reformed theologian Anthony Hockema writes these words. When one asks, how do we know when one of these seven seals ends, the answer is that each of the seven ends, indicating that the end time has come. Now, for those of you that are thinking, you can check this out. Go to the chapters and watch, and you'll see the seals, the movement through the book of Revelation has several in-time pictures. These are not chronologically sequenced one after another. They happen concurrently in different locales and places. So we know when one of these seven sections ends because each of the seven ends indicating the end time has come. And such an indication may be given in terms of a reference to the final judgment at the end of history or to the final blessedness of God's people or to both. Thus we come to the end of chapter six. Look at it with me. I'll read aloud from God's inerrant word, chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us, hide us, from the presence of him who sits upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come and who is able to stand. In time picture, but then we come to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, John is shown a a wondrous vision of the final blessedness of those who have come out of the great tribulation. In fact, let us read. Stand with me, and now we'll read John uh, Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7. And remember that this follows the first six seals. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind should blow upon the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000, from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000, from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 sealed. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, these who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And from where have they come? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And for this reason they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of the water of life and God shall wipe every tear from their eyes. The blessed word of God. You may be seated. John, John, he is the author, human. Revelation chapter 7. John is shown a wondrous vision of the final blessedness of those who have come out of the great tribulation that we see described in chapter 6. Now, that the understanding of the 144,000 in the first eight verses is wide and varied, heretics like Jehovah Witnesses understand it one way, Some evangelicals who are not heretics understand it another way. It is not my purpose this day to carefully exegete the first half of chapter 7. It's not careful dissection of doctrine, but it's blessedness considering where is your loved one who is in the Lord? What are they experiencing? and what do we have ahead of us but i will quote from the Ref- study bible reformation study bible and i quote the balanced numbering suggests that 12 is a symbolic number for the fullness of the people of god and the 144,000 is not the actual number of those who are sealed the early association of the tribe of Dan with idolatry, you'll recall Pastor Aaron preached through that powerful series, may explain its omission from this list. Some think that the 144,000 here includes only Jewish believers, but the servants of our God in verse 3 must include Gentile believers as well. The equal status of Gentiles and Jews in the seven churches, see Ephesians 2, and the promises associated only with the 144,000 confirm this. According to verses 1 through 8, the saints are known by God individually, and none slips out of his care, John 10. My sheep are in my father's hand. My sheep are in my hand. They cannot be taken away. So the picture in verses 9 through 17 understands the same vast host that was depicted to us in the first seven, eight verses symbolically from the viewpoint of their actual vast, uncountable number. Although they are a saved remnant, chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, they are also those who have been gathered from all over the face of the earth and have lived throughout the period of the church age. Therefore, they are a multitudinous throng. Now, we just read verses Stephen, I'm not sure what's happening. It's like the pulpits wired. (laughs) It's okay. So according to verses 1 through 8, the saints are known by God individually. None slips. And although they are a saved remnant, they are also those who have been gathered from all over the earth through the period of the church age. Now verses 9 through 17. Imagine this great multitude. Here is the symbolism of verses 4 through 8, the 144,000, expanded into an uncountable multitude. The book of Revelation uses apocalyptic language and numbers, even as Daniel and Ezekiel do. In fact, if you're in the habit of listening to contemporary teachers on the end times out of Revelation, and you don't know the book of Daniel and Ezekiel thoroughly, uh, this is definitely a problem. Try shutting this up. This is touchy. <laughs> yeah, we'll need it back, but thank you. See if that does it. So the book of Revelation uses apocalyptic language and numbers. Thus, John uses the number 12,000 to mark out each of the 12 tribes. 12 is a biblical number speaking of fullness. Whenever scripture uses the number 12, it speaks of something in its complete nature. Thus, there are 12 tribes... There are twelve apostles. There are twelve gates in the heavenly city. Number twelve is in Scripture a perfect number, saith Hokema as well as Derek Thomas. And here we've got twelve squared. Well, what's 12 squared? 144 times 10, times 10, times 10. Perfect three number comes to 144,000. So John is using the number here of 144,000 to speak not quantitatively. The Spirit is speaking qualitatively. Here of the perfection of those God has sealed. That's key. The first eight verses is not a intended as a quantitative measurement. You see that in verse 9. But it is a qualitative assessment of the perfection, of the fullness of the sealing of those whom God has called. And as for the sealing, listen carefully. What do the teaching portions of the New Testament tell us about this sealing? I trust you've examined that. Well, the New Testament teaches that we are sealed with and by the Holy Spirit. The New Testament teaches that we are sealed with and by the Holy Spirit Ephesians one thirteen. Ephesians one thirteen, having also believed you who were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of possession, to the praise of his glory. Ephesians four thirty. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Revelation fourteen one speaks of the one hundred and forty four thousand again look at Revelation fourteen one. And I looked and behold, the lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him one hundred and forty four thousand, having his name, and the name of His Father, written on their four heads. Believers have been marked, have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so the theology can be stated by Paul in Second Timothy 2. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal, The Lord knows those who are his own. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Dear brethren, the sealing the Apostle John writes of in Revelation 7 is the same Paul speaks of in Ephesians. The sealing is the blessed divine presence of the Holy Spirit, not some new technological implant which believers in the first century would not have had a clue of understanding about. People of the book search the scriptures, not some new teaching, hybridizing sacred scripture with technological fears. Do not drink from eschatological sensationalism. Let me say that again. People of the book search the scriptures, not what the latest predictions are or prophecies. Why would you listen to that? People of the book search the scriptures, not some new teaching which hybridizes sacred scripture with technological fears. Don't drink from eschatological sensationalism. Drink from sacred scripture so that you know the mind of God. Further, Reformed believers know that the Father is sovereign and providentially in his holy temple is in control of every single thing that happens. Where then is fear? Where then is worry? So the state comes and sticks an implant in my body. God is in control, and he will do what he will do. And I need not fear the state. They are... <laughs> the state of Illinois, even the feds are not on a par with the Lord who is in his holy temple. So no fear. Now application. Imagine the glorious scene. Look again, Revelation 7, 9, and following. The glorious scene of this multitude gathered before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palm branches in their hands, just like the triumphal entry, a proclamation of King. These are those who are continuously being gathered by God as he calls them home during this present age of grace. Track with them. John 7 is an interlude showing the present millennial reign of Christ as the growing throng of the saved gathered joyously around him and he that sits upon the throne. This is why the Spirit breathed John 7 out through the Apostle Chapter 6, six seals of horror. Chapter 7, time out. Yeah, it's horror upon earth, but there's bliss presently with your loved ones who have been martyred. There's bliss presently with those who have died confessing Christ. And this was true in the first century and is true today too. They are the souls of those who upon their death were morally glorified, being made perfect. Wow. Hebrews 11. The spirits of righteous men made perfect presently in heaven. I do not speak of the glorification of their body, for they have not yet been rejoined to their bodies. That happens at the second return of Christ. You remember that. But you can be and you are morally glorified in the presence of Jesus. You say, how do you know that? There can't be sin in his presence. That means you can't be near him if you died right now, unless God did a mighty work in you. Morally glorified. Who can fathom the wonder of being made perfect? (laughs) No more sin. No more temptation. No more bad memories. No more depression. No more anger. No more bitterness. Glory, glory, glory in Emmanuel's blessed presence. And to behold him, the man, who you know to be thy redeeming God, the Lamb of God, thy Savior, and to know that all that has burdened you in this life is gone forever. And now you just await his glorious return and the raising of your physical glorified body. And next on the agenda is the wedding feast of the Lamb, and glory, glory forever. Oh, that settles a person who is struggling in Afghanistan. Her husband has been martyred. That'll settle you in China as a loved one has been killed by a mob. That should settle us because some of us have lost loved ones last six months, last year. Contemplate. (laughs) Contemplate what their experience is. Not what yours is. Contemplate what their experience is. Calvin says believers after they have died in this world lead a heavenly life with God God is faithful to preserve them alive in his presence beyond the comprehension of men your best thoughts about heaven are woefully woefully inadequate to the joy that your loved one is currently experiencing. Look at chapter 21, Revelation 21 with me, verses 1 through 6. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And a loud voice from the throne, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, And there shall no longer be death. There shall no longer be mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. It is finished. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Hmm. John tells us in Revelation chapter 7 that they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb for this is a picture of those who have died in Christ presently in the first century and has been growing vaster and vaster as a throng of redeemed even to this very day. They are before the throne of God day and night. They are serving him. They are doing. Now catch that. They're serving him. Kind of like Sunday will answer Jesus. They are, what's that? They are doing stuff. They are doing. How blessed to be given a task, any task, by Him that, that you could perform to His glory. And to see Thy Savior's face smile at you with pleasure and affection. Oh, glory! Heaven is glory. No more hunger, no more thirst. For rivers of living water are within thee and coursing all around thee. And the Lamb who is our shepherd shall lead you to springs of the waters of life. Hmm. We have historically enjoyed, we did this year, going to Montauk State Park south of Rolla, a Missouri State Trout Hatchery. Beautiful, pristine, beautiful place. Current River is birthed there. Fifty-some millions of gallons of water burst out in this vast pool, about this large first area here, and you just see the sand boil as this bluish water Gorgeous, and then flows out with undulating water plants and just the, the beauty of it. But to walk there in the anticipation of seeing this thing of beauty with my family has always blessed. I do not think for a moment that this spring at Montauk measures up at all to what Jesus will take us to see. And if the charcoal fire of John 21 means anything, sitting around it with Jesus, he hands you fish fish and bread with a smiling face, You eat pleasurably, engaging in joyful talk, with mouths full, probably. And then he says, let's go for a walk. (laughs) Revelation 7, Jesus, our good shepherd, is guiding the ever-growing multitude of redeemed men and women, boys and girls, guiding them to springs of the water of life. You say, how can he guide such a vast throng (laughs) You ask questions that are beyond you and me. I don't know, but I see what is said here. You say, oh, no, you forget that Jesus is in the flesh. Jesus is in the flesh sitting on a throne walking with the loved ones who have gone before us, guiding them to springs of the water of life. This is where your loved one in Christ is. So John writes this interlude of Revelation chapter 7 to encourage and strengthen the church under affliction, the church that is suffering, being persecuted, keep faith, hold to your confession, for ye are safely held in the tender, omnipotent hands of thy loving Father in heaven. And when ye shall pass to death's door, as your loved ones have, it is pure joy, relational joy. That's why seven was written. That's why seven was written for you. Father, I pray that the beauty, the glory that is yours, radiating from the face of Jesus, would shine down upon us. I pray that you would lift hearts that are heavy, as some of us have lost loved ones, I pray that you'll cause us, help us, stir us to reflect upon the wonders that they are experiencing. Thank you for this place of white robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for no more hunger, no more thirsting, for all that we have ever yearned for has been and is being satisfied. Thank you for the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, that as our good shepherd, you are guiding your children today to springs of the water of life. We love you, and we can't wait. We praise you, thank you, and bless you for the hope of the gospel. Amen.